The day after the big provincial leaders debate, Heather Stephenson joined us this morning to talk crime and justice as we continue every Tuesday and Thursday to focus on the big election issues that matter to you. Also, we had much to discuss on addictions. We'll be going full steam ahead on that on Thursday, but we did touch on that today. And Greg actually revealed an addiction that he once dealt with. And one of Greg's sons recently discovered he should have been doing something a different way for several years. What's something you realized? I've been doing this wrong this whole time. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This is the Tuesday, September 19th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, the day after the big debate. Many thanks to all who tuned in and took part and sent questions and feedback because it was uh, 90 minutes of pretty solid radio and uh, well-behaved, respectful. Yeah, yeah, I know a lot of times you get the word lively when it comes to debate. There were times when maybe it it got a little tenuous, it got a, a little heated, but for the most part, Loren, I thought all the leaders maintained their composure. There was a lot of decorum. And I felt like we got a lot of answers yesterday in terms of where each of the leaders would tell us where each party would go if they were elected to become Manitoba's government. How many times have you listened to a debate in years past and thought, well, the only person, the loser in this scenario is me because I learned nothing. You know, I while spent I was my listening, time. I spent my time two hours or three hours or 90 minutes and learned nothing because there's so much shouting over one another. So it allowed for answers, but in a controlled time so that it couldn't just, you know, someone wax on poetically about their promises without being pushed a little bit. I thought that was great. I think I learned, you know, we talked about what were we listening for in that and the, the promises and the reaction were important, but sometimes it was what wasn't said that also stood out for me, just what didn't, get sad that made me think, well, what are they not saying there and why? Well, in the conversation about uh, Manitoba's push to, you know, the Conservatives have brought this, uh, you know, 2030 plan, the push to 2 million people. And there's a whole litany of things that we could go and say I would like to have heard more about. But the idea that Manitoba is going to be, you know, the PCs envision a province of 2 million people by 2030, an increase of almost 500,000 people. But there's no conversation about a rapid transit plan. For Winnipeg, how, how many of those 500,000 people are going to ultimately end up in Winnipeg? I was trying to figure so out how, how we move, bring how, it back to transit. How, how, how are we going to move <laughs> these people around? You know, you're not wrong. There I, wasn't I a conversation know, about freeways is, either. No, they're, they're, so they're, how are you going to move these people? Housing, roads, all those kinds of things. It's, it's hard, Brett, because these are things, you know, like there's just basic issues. You know, you want to get to work on a road that's not bumpy or you want to be able to catch the bus at 4 a.m. and you can't or all those kinds of things. And then on the opposite end, you also want to be able to go to the hospital and not sit there for 97 hours before someone sees you, right? Like there's those really big things that are urging people. And then there's just the minor stuff that also you want you want to see some vision on. 
Our question of the day, by the way, at cjob.com, which you can still weigh in on for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. How will you decide on how to vote in the upcoming provincial election? So we had 57% say party, 16% issues, 15% it varies, 11% person, so the person, or and just under 1% debates. So you can still cast your vote on that at cjob.com. I did want to just highlight... This of of what I did here, I heard most of it, but of what I did here, this this stood out to me as a just a pleasant surprise. What's your plan to keep younger Manitobans attending our colleges and universities here to attract more people here overall and to keep people here, including, dare I say, those who are fed up with our winters? Well, uh, it's a political truism that winter is a federal responsibility so we'll focus on the things the province can do i was laughing out loud in my car as i was exiting the parking i think there's often you you might laugh at a debate for the wrong reasons you know like oh that's a laughable answer because you're mocking them that was just genuinely i laughed at that one too i thought that was good yeah and everybody knows that uh, the weather is a provincial responsibility well i'm always trying to offshoot things to, <laughs> to the federal government <laughs> Uh, so kudos to Richard Cloutier for doing a great job moderating that debate. And if you missed it, you want to hear it, you can find it in the audio vault at cjob.com. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. From smashed windows to police tape around a crime scene. I, every time I go for a walk, broken glass everywhere. Not like... <laughs> Not everywhere, but I see it everywhere I go. Many of us have witnessed the aftermath of some sort of crime in this city. And Winnipeg police painted the picture for us earlier this year when they shared their annual crime statistics. So we learned that property crime jumped 32% in 2022. Violent crime was up 19%. Drug crimes were down 21%. Uh, But that was the only category or one of the few categories where you saw things decline. And then, of course, there's youth crime. And when I was looking back at just some of the headlines this past year, it's it's sort of sad how you forget because you just hear it and you think, how awful. And I don't see you move on, but you forget. And so there was that 14-year-old charged with uh, murder for that incident outside the Canada Life Centre after a concert. There was a 17-year-old charged with a count of murder, plus four counts of attempted murder for a shooting at some homes in the West End. And then we've had, you know, all these altercations, scrappings, robberies at high-profile locations, including Polo Park Mall, Greg. Yeah, simply put, youth crime was up in 2022, and this year appears to be no better. Global's Marnie Blunt now on the hurt the community is feeling. Life in the city's core is something Harvey Rempel knows well. He works with Inner City Youth Alive, building relationships in the community. Getting to know guys who are caught up in the world of gangs and drug dealing and stuff like that, and It just captured my heart and it's been the world that I've been immersed in ever since. Honestly, I often feel honoured to have a chance to build relationships with the youth. Rempel helps those falling into a life of gangs and crime find a positive path. He's even worked to help find resolutions between conflicting gangs. There was two groups of guys that were fighting each other and were jumping each other and kicking in each other's doors with bear mace and baseball bats and machetes. And we actually knew both sides, so we were able to have kind of a little bit of a sit-down meeting and just had some pizza and gave them a chance to express their anger in a neutral space. But with violent crime running rampant in the city, he's also seen the toll it's taking firsthand. Well, certainly we've been leading and attending 
quite a few more funerals in the last few years. Um, for, yeah, especially for people who died of overdoses and victims of violence. Good people, people that we love, that we miss, people that um, were a huge part of this community. The homicide rate in Winnipeg broke a record last year, with 53 people losing their lives to violent crime. It's it's very concerning to see, you know, children as young as 14 and 15 years old involved in homicides. Karen Weeb's son was murdered 20 years ago. She now works to advocate for victims. And she says each loss of life also opens old wounds for those who have previously lost someone to violent crime, including her. Every time there's a murder, uh, it brings back their own murder. You know, it brings back the, the murder of their family member. Uh, so it is also traumatizing for people that have been through this to see this happening again and again and again in their own city. Kent Duick sees the impact it's having on the community regularly and says it's having a cascading effect. Uh, I just recently was driving down Salter Avenue and a woman was just about accosted with a baseball bat. She just caught, got caught in the middle of something. So I picked her up and dropped her off at work. And, you know, so she, then she's got this trauma to debrief. Duick says the city is at a tipping point with violent crime and something needs to be done, especially when it comes to violent offenders being released on bail only to reoffend. We're at an inflection point. This is, we're at a critical point where if we don't take action, we can't even imagine the implications of, of our failure to act on this. There's a lot darker things could get. Advocates say the situation needs to be stabilized and issues of safe housing and addictions need to be addressed. What's happening is politicians are sitting in air-conditioned offices taking their sweet time making decisions that matter to people in our community, matter to those victims. And those victims, he says, need to be supported through their grief and listened to. Listen to the wisdom within the community. And then we have to stabilize the situation. Um, you can't build vision when a community feels unsafe. And so if everybody's looking over their shoulder, it's very hard to look forward with vision. Looking forward with a vision of a safe community where less lives are being senselessly lost. Marty Blunt, Global News. The circumstances which create crime in 2023 don't occur in 2022 or 2021. They likely occurred in 07, 08, 09. And so it's important that we wrap our head around causation. Otherwise, this is going to be a conversation we're having for years to come, Loren. The hearing of the frustration in so many people's voices in that story, it, it feels very real. And when you use the word stabilize, that means you're at a situation where things are critical, where you're trying to stabilize that person and not to save a life uh, metaphorically, but literally. So we're going to speak with Heather Stephenson at 837. This is our big issue for the day, crime and justice. What do you think needs to be done in this province to get a hold on things? was the question some of you wanted asked. What's behind the provincial conservatives' message that they're, quote, fighting for families? The billboards highlighting how they are the party fighting for parental rights. I'd like to see Heather Stephenson answer um, whether their, their fighting for parental rights slogan is anything other than a dog whistle to transphobes and the folks on the far right because it's very concerning um, to people in the LGBTQ community, and we'd like her to uh, talk about that. 
So that was listener Nate. He called into our show just ahead of CJOB's debate between the three provincial leaders. And he was looking for that clarity because the Conservative parties in both New Brunswick and Saskatchewan have recently introduced legislation aimed at, quote, protecting parental rights. Essentially, they've introduced laws requiring parental permission for transgender and non-binary students to use different names or pronouns at schools. As you just heard in the run with Sarah, in Saskatchewan, this issue is going to court. Our Richard Cloutier asked Manitoba Conservative leader Heather Stephenson if it's her party's plan to go down the same path. Does that include the right requiring parental permission for transgender and non-binary students to use different names? Or pronouns at school? Look, we believe that uh, parents know what's in the best interest of their children and that they have a right to be informed at school with what is happening so they can make the decisions uh, for their children. We want to make sure that children have the best tools that they can um, and, and, you know, to prosper in society And by leaving parents out of that equation, I think is wrong. I think parents need to be included. That's all we're doing. This is not a new discussion that's taking place. It's been taking place for over 30 years. But, you know, times have changed in those 30 years, and we need to have these discussions again. So hard drugs, bullying, cell phones, you know, social media. The Public Schools Act didn't necessarily take that into consideration 30 years ago, and that's why we want to ensure that we have a consultation and process that involves parents. And the right requiring parental permission for transgender non-binary students to use different names or pronouns at school. You can stop this right now by answering the question. So I want to make sure that parents are involved in that, that they are aware of what is going on with their kids at school. So, uh, you know, I don't believe that anyone, any parent should be left in the dark. Mr. Canoe. I'm never going to stand in between you and your child, but I'm also going to stand up for the rights of trans children in our communities every single day and every time that it's required. And I'll point out on this issue as well, the PCs are trying to divide us. Why? Why are the PCs trying to divide us on social issues like this? Because they know they cannot win an election talking about your number one priority, health care. So these issues, they can get very divisive, but I think the role of a leader is to bring people together and try to find common ground. And on this issue, I think we do need to re- respect the uh, role of parents, but also to respect that young people in the LGBTQ community are being targeted, in some cases by politicians. And real politicians, real leaders should stand up and say, let's find common ground and let's work together Mr. on those Lamont. big issues like health care. Yeah, look, I think that this is a... This is a somewhat important issue. I say somewhat because there are colossal, huge, important issues that need to be dealt with. I think the PCs are raising this to frighten people. It really doesn't matter to me what people call themselves at school. Everyone had a nickname. (laughs) Everyone calls themselves different things. And the reality is our job should be to make sure that every single kid makes it through to grade 12 without killing themselves. There are people who kill themselves because of the way they're treated um, and that is something that we, we need to recognize. And I don't think that this is helpful. Do I think I know everything that's going on in my kid's school and everything they're dealing with? Nope, not for a second. Do I think they have conversations with counselors and teachers that I'm not privy to? Yep. And I'm okay with that. I have a pretty good, I have a pretty rock solid relationship with both my kids. But I also know there are things that they go through, questions they have about all aspects of life 
that they might not necessarily be comfortable speaking with me about. They might be more comfortable talking to their uncles or their grandparents or their teacher or their counselor at teach at school. Do I get frustrated when there's a bullying incident and the administration can't tell me who the other individual involved is? Yes, of course. Is the school system perfect? No, not by any stretch, but I have a a lot of interaction with my kids' teachers and administration. So am I concerned that things are being kept from me for nefarious purposes and reasons? No, I'm not in any way, shape, or form. And so I just have to wonder why this this parental rights, quote-unquote, seems to be such a large issue for the Conservative Party in particular. I thought the point made by both parties, although Canoe tried to bring it back to health, but that's fine. That's going to be the thing they run on. Liberals saying, you know, it's not an issue. It's not an issue because there's other issues and then this is sort of a distraction. I think that's fair. I think that there is a a component of the population out there that is trying to turn this into something to get your backs up on so that you're maybe not paying attention to something else, a distraction tactic. But, you know, I'm genuinely curious for parents out there are you really that concerned that something major like your child thinking about their identity and, and ta- thinking about transgender issues, if that they're going to the school to talk about, you know, that you're not aware about it? 0.19% of the population identifies as transgender. That's such a small percentage of the population. It's a big deal to, to each be, and every one of those individuals. One of those individuals. And the families too. hundred percent. Sure. But are you really that worried that you're going to be so in the dark? It, it's for those who are in the dark and, and have to live in that dark and then at least find the light at school that we're talking about. I, I just don't get why people have their, if anyone has their backs up about this, I don't understand why. And more than that, Brett, we've had several voices on the last couple of weeks, I think several weeks in a row, talking about the idea that the reason why it's concerning that a person couldn't go to school and talk about it because they can't talk about it at home is not just what Lamont raised about, you know, suicide rates, homelessness rates, uh, um, youth homelessness is on the rise and it's double or triple for the transgender community. So they leave because they're not welcome because they got outed by someone. Feel free to weigh in at 204-780-6868. And once again, Heather Stephenson, leader of the PC party, joins us live at 835. And we'll hear from more leaders through the day on 680 CJOB. It's Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. Yesterday, Greg revealed to us that one of his sons has made a pretty major discovery as it pertains to the way he's been doing something now for several years. What happened, Greg? Well, my sons uh, both played baseball for six, seven, eight years, depending on which kid we're talking about. And uh, one of my boys could hit from, he's a switch hitter, could hit from the right side and the left side of the plate. So we've been golfing just a tiny bit over the last four or five years. Not not anything huge, but uh, he decided that he was going to swing uh, right-handed golf clubs, much to my chagrin, because I'm a left-handed golfer. <laughs> so I had to go out and get a bunch of right-handed clubs for him. And we were at the driving range on Sunday. He's getting ready for his annual high school golf tournament. He goes, Dad... I've often wondered if maybe I'm hitting the ball from the wrong side of the tee. He looks at me and goes, can I try your, uh, can I try your clubs? 
Sure enough, he walks onto the proper side of the ball, in my estimation, swings a club and hit it dead straight. Not super long, but dead straight. So he's been practicing the last three days from the other side, and things are looking promising. So that's a big, big switch yeah. to go from uh, being a right-handed golfer to a left-handed golfer. So that's that's a big realization for him and, and for me. But spirits are up. On yes, your, actually, yeah. yeah, we haven't had any arguments. You know, a lot of time when you're trying to <laughs> teach a kid how to drive or how to golf, there are arguments and don't talk to me like that. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm doing my best. There's been none of that. There's been no breakdowns. It's been, it's been pretty good. Okay. Yeah. So the question this morning then at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win tickets for Christmas with the Tenors on December 1st. Things that maybe you've been doing wrong. Like, have you ever had that moment where you're like, what? I should have been doing it this way this whole time? Things you discover you could or should be doing differently. 204-780-6868. Like, for example, I just learned this recently. You know, like when you get a six-pack of uh, bottles of pop, like the 750-milliliter bottles or whatever. Um, usually when I when I want to take one out, I'll, like, pick up the whole six-pack and mm-hmm. then just, like, try to pull this thing out without having the whole thing explode on me. And uh, I saw a video online. There's a little tab in the corner. There's like a little hole. Of the plastic rings? Yeah. And if you just pull that, <laughs> it's, it, it just releases. I didn't know that. I what? Didn't, did no. you know that anyone else knew that? No. i just been nope. hacking away at those things. Yeah. So trying if, to get my drink and also worried about the turtles if these <laughs> end up in the water. So if you have one of those plastic six ring things, there's a little tab in either corner where you can just give it a tug and it'll just release the bottle. And uh, wow, yeah, mm. stupid. That like years. I didn't know that. It's been nope. there the whole time because I always cut those things up. Mm-hmm. I always cut them up or tear them up because like you, I'm worried about the turtles, including that little tab. I'll <laughs> cut that. I'll cut the a cynic hole through in that. me said, oh, they're not going to waste this extra bit of plastic. They're just going to save on that tiny little bit. Yeah. I didn't know it had a function. I know. So there you go. There's mine. Poitras, what about you? Well, I, I had this uh, um, uh, can opener. It was the worst can opener in the world. Awful. Couldn't do anything with it. It's completely useless. I even like one time so frustrated, it was like, suggest- I got to throw it up against the wall. And then my wife comes over and she goes, idiot, you're using it backwards. <laughs> I had it upside down <laughs> and I was using it. And I'm just like, this stinking cattle, bro. I hate it. She goes, it's, you're, yeah, you're using it up. It's, you got to turn it around clown and so i did and i'm like oh <laughs> you know i've wow, thrown my out- tuna this is uh the life-changing situation for my tuna sandwich. i've thrown out two can openers this year because they were weren't working in my mind i wonder operator oh. error i suggest is probably <laughs> well, likely it, it kept releasing like you know when you get like two twists and then it would like let go else because i had it backwards well some of the can openers are designed for you to click on it and mm-hmm. open it sort of sideways around yeah. the top and then others Around the side, around the no, I had around the, the outside. But you had a completely, you know, like the the blade wheel on that you put yeah. on the top. I had that on the bottom, and I had the dull end on the top, <laughs> where you're supposed to like close it in on. Yeah, like that would break. That, that would make the, a difference. The break. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it's called, but yeah, it made a difference. Yeah. Well, life changed. I, you have now easier access to that tuna. Yes. Well, you know, there's little victories in life. You know, Sarah. What about you? 
more tuna sandwiches in the morning. I don't know, Cam. I prefer the old can opener now. Um, but, uh, mine's so simple that I like t- that technology has come this far. But long story short, my TV wasn't working. I'm one of those weird young people that still gets cable because I still like some cable and shows. And good for you. <laughs> yeah, I do watch some cable shows. Um, but anyway, so the guy was there fixing it or whatever, and it turns out I needed a new remote anyways. And he was like, oh, just making sure like you know all these different like cool little shortcuts on the remote now and uh because there's actually like a button where you can like talk to it for like accessibility of course and he's like oh yeah you can like fast forward like you can just say fast forward three and a half minutes no really yes so in like pvr shows instead of like going clicking 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 and passing like where it's past the commercial well into the show you can just go fast forward three and a half minutes. Like, no, are you on Shaw? Yes. So yeah, it's a Shaw remote. Oh my gosh! So, <laughs> I'm I'm writing all these things right now. Major this. news. This is major news. That is brilliant. You're about to change Brett McGarry's <laughs> life. Well, because the the old Shaw remotes used to have one where you could skip. Yeah. So they had either fast forward or skip, and it would skip thirty seconds. So I would just go skip, 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 skip. But now I gotta. Yeah. Hit the fast forward. Oh, I went too far, and now I got to go back. Oh, now I'm back too far. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I'm gonna. I didn't give know any of shot. this. I, I I just switched to this type. I don't know three months ago when the Shaw cable person was like, "We don't even make the kind of box you have anymore, Lorraine. Like, move on. Do you want me to replace this?" And I was like, "I don't know." So I have that d- darn remote, and I feel like I hate it more than I like it because. It's like the automated stuff of the world now where you're yelling into it all the time. <laughs> oh, fair. You know, like that Parks too. and Recreation and it comes up with dark hole worms of like documentaries or yeah, something. Yeah, of course, that show. Yeah, dark hole worms. <laughs> we should try the it. Dark hole worm documentary, yes. <laughs> In the, the Polynesian Islands, you know, those dark hole worms. Jeff? Uh, okay, well, for me, there's there's a guy who I've seen on YouTube and I, I don't know what his name is, but oh. he, he goes... No way! Things I wish I knew before I was 30. And then he shows you like all these things that you're like, I didn't know about that. And one of the ones that he did was uh, when you set up your smoke alarm, and you know, most people take a a rag and, you know, flicking Mm -hmm. it in front of the smoke alarm trying to get it to stop. Well, apparently, there's the button on it. You think it's a test button, but it says test slash reset. All you have to do is hit that button, it stops. Yeah. Didn't know that. I I I did not know that. And so for when I'm cooking chicken wings and I burn something at 2 o'clock in the morning, that's good to know. <laughs> I, I just wave that towel. I have to run and yell, kids, get a towel, because I burn something qu- quite regularly. Just yeah. hit, it, hit the button. It just, stops. Just because of broiling. The broiling function needs to have some sort of beeping component <laughs> to it. 204-780-6868. The things that you've been doing wrong... Or like, did you ever discover that you had been doing something wrong and your life was changed forever for the better? Tell us a story for a chance to win those Christmas with the Tenors tickets. December 1st, Club Region Event Center will pick a winner, 9.15. By the way, there is a pre-sale for that show tomorrow starting at 10 a.m. with Ticketmaster. The password is HOLIDAY. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We are asking you this morning at 204-780-6868. You ever realize you've been doing something wrong all this time? Or maybe you could be doing it better or differently, like Greg's son learning after a couple of years of swinging the golf club right-handed. 
that maybe he should have been doing it left-handed because he's a switch hitter in baseball. And uh, turns out the left-handed is uh, working like a charm. So 204-780-6868. Fortier pointed out that he just recently discovered the reset button on a smoke alarm rather than waving a towel. Ruth says, I keep a walking stick beside my smoke alarm so I can quickly shut it off when cooking. Works like a charm. I usually just do the towel because mine is up high, so I either need a step ladder yes. or I have to pull what like I'll pull my sand wedge out of my golf bag and I'll start poking at the smoke detector on the ceiling. Probably doing using that club more effectively with that than I would on the actual golf course. But uh, yeah, I didn't know about the reset thing until a couple of years ago. I feel like I knew it, and just it's also those things in life you know and then you forget that they're there or you forget that that tool exists. Like people who always point out when, whenever we have a conversation around life hacks about the arrow on your gas tank, you know, when you look at your dash, yeah. it tells you which side of the car your gas tank is on and you know, it's there. And then I don't know if I'm the only one, but we have two vehicles and I gen- each one is opposite. And I genuinely have to check that arrow almost every time. If you want uh, some tips on some of these little things, I I thought for sure, Forte, you were going down a certain path with a guy I follow on Instagram, and he works in uh, in a shop, and he he's a fix it guy, super handy guy, and he's forever bringing to Instagram these things that he didn't know, and in fact, his username is what? No way! And <laughs> I like that name. He'll play a clip from somebody else. His Instagram post is it really that simple? And he'll go and try it. He goes, I've got one of those things around here, and then he'll do it. What? No way! So, uh, he's got 415,000 followers. He'd be a good follow for you. What N O O O W triple A Y. What? No way. Unless the hack is getting the sheets on the bed, uh, you can show me all the different tricks in the world. We got to come up with a new bed system. Period. Full stop. Fitting like it's the. I will. I will sleep on a sheetless bed for days, so I don't have to tackle that problem. I hate it. I got suckered in on Instagram the other day. Somebody said the perfect hack nope. for folding the fitted oh, sheet. I saw that Number one. one, stretch out the sheet. Number two. Throw it, put it in a ball and throw it in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. One of the issues most negatively impacting our community right now, uh, this is a no-brainer. It's addictions. And in yesterday's Provincial Leaders Debate here on 680 CJOB, moderator Richard Cloutier set up the issue this way. Every day, our first responders and police are dealing with the reality of drugs and violence on our streets. This is from a recent ride-along with a uh, Division 11 shift in Winnipeg's downtown area. Almost every call we go to, there's a component either involving alcohol or drug use. And and that's the reality of of what we're faced with. It seems like more these days, it's drug use. Specifically, it's either uh, fentanyl or or type of opioid or methamphetamine. Um, In this case, it's methamphetamine. And it can be very difficult to deal with somebody who's high. And um, they often require a lot of resources. Several of the officers on that shift told me that they need a safe space to take those who are addicted. Not necessarily an emergency room, but a unit at a hospital that will provide services to make sure people like the one woman that was arrested get the help they need. And that's just the start. We need a comprehensive strategy to deal with addictions in Manitoba. What tools will you make available to help those trying to curb this 
crisis. All right. So this is Liberal leader Dougal Lamont. One of the first things we've said when it comes to our safer streets is uh, creating non-police mental health and addictions teams who can work in tandem with law enforcement. Look, it's a huge challenge. The police, the job of the police is to maintain public safety and to, you know, enforce the law. But a lot of these people aren't necessarily breaking the law. These are people who need uh, mental health and addiction support that isn't there for them right now. So making sure we have those teams who can either sit with uh, somebody in an ER, so it's not a police officer, or making sure you get them to a stabilization unit where they can uh, detox is a, is a huge priority for us. PC leader Heather Stephenson then had her opportunity to react to Richard's question. So we're the only party with a balanced approach when it comes to this, making sure that we're giving the, the police officers uh, more tools uh, that they need, but uh, and also providing for more funding for more police officers uh, in downtown Winnipeg. But we're also, we also recognize that we need to be proactive on the other side of this. And uh, that is uh, more money for treatment spaces, more money for the, um, the RAM clinics uh, that we've already. Um, and so we've already started to implement that through past budgets that my opponents voted against. More clinical psychologists. You know, we recognize that there's more work to be done and we're committed to doing that. Last to get the opportunity on this topic and Richard switched the order of all his questions throughout the morning was NDP leader Bob Canoe. Well, first off, I want to thank those officers for the important work that they do in our communities. And I think the challenge of doing their jobs has only increased over the past half decade. So one of the proposals we made is let's add 100 mental health workers, uh, mental health care workers across a province who can work to support law enforcement. Then we're going to be able to, to target a more appropriate uh, response in some of those situations that you're articulating, where maybe somebody's going to have to head to a, a crisis stabilization unit. You heard the, the chief of police of Winnipeg highlight the need uh, for this over the this past weekend, over the past week. And so we know that mental health and addictions are more prominent than ever. So let's start to invest in the response here because it is a, an important part of not only getting a handle on the addictions issues, but also on making our communities safer. Okay, so this is where things maybe took a turn or got a bit more contentious. So would we all agree that this is a crisis? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's a significant challenge in our community that. Uh, that so you use the absolutely. word crisis to describe this? Well, I think that um, you know I, I don't like to alarm Manitobans by sensationalizing things. I think it's a significant. There's nothing sensational about spend some time during yeah. the day or during the night in the downtown area. I believe it's an incredibly important issue that we have to address, and we are addressing it. I don't see. I have never seen it worse, quite frankly. Well, go to a Jets game. You don't have to do a ride along. Take the bus to work downtown on a given day no one who drives down main street would say that the situation is not a crisis we had what we referred to as an opioid crisis pre-pandemic we've got a homelessness crisis we've got a crime crisis i know people don't like to use those words and that word crisis implies a lot of different things but i've asked for years why the reluctance around addictions to use the terminology, to use the word crisis. And I'm concerned that the reluctancy lies in the what comes next. Once you declare a crisis, then you have to take action. And there's been a reluctance to use the word and a reluctance in a lot of cases to take action on this. Most advocates we've spoken to have used the word crisis for that and other issues when it's related to crime, addictions, homelessness in our community. Oh, to play devil's advocate, I think once you say it's a crisis, then does that not imply immediate action needs to be taken? And therefore, you want to avoid using it and or 
You stop hearing it. If everything's a crisis, is nothing a crisis? It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Our question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. How will you decide on how to vote in the upcoming provincial election? So far, we've got 57% say the party, 16% issues, 15% it varies, and 11% person. You cast your vote, cjob.com. And every Tuesday and Thursday on CJOB, we're putting the spotlight on some of the key concerns in our community, we've tackled affordability, child poverty, and today, crime and justice. Yeah, and we outlined some of the huge concerns at 6.15 this morning. A big jump in property crime, retail crime, violent crime, and youth crime. Global's Marnie Blunt spoke to several community advocates yesterday, including someone we've spoken with often, Kent Duick of Inner City Youth Alive. Kent Duick sees the impact it's having on the community regularly and says it's having a cascading effect. Uh, I just recently was driving down Salter Avenue and a woman was just about accosted with a baseball bat. She just caught, got caught in the middle of something. So I picked her up and dropped her off at work. And, you know, so she, then she's got this trauma to debrief. Duick says the city is at a tipping point with violent crime and something needs to be done, especially when it comes to violent offenders being released on bail only to reoffend. We're at an inflection point. This is, we're at a critical point where if we don't take action, we can't even imagine the implications of, of our failure to act on this. There's a lot darker things could get. Advocates say the situation needs to be stabilized and issues of safe housing and addictions need to be addressed. What's happening is politicians are sitting in air-conditioned offices taking their sweet time making decisions that matter to people in our community, matter to those victims. So throughout the day here on CJOB, we're going to be hearing from the three leaders. NDP will speak at 2.30 and Ndugo Lamont at 3.35 on the news. We're joined now by Conservative leader Heather Stevenson. Morning, Heather. Good morning. So what do you make of that comment from Kent Duith? Politicians sitting in air-conditioned office taking their sweet time. So, um, listen, we have been taking action on this. And, you know, we do have a violent crime strategy, uh, putting more police officers on the streets. Um, community partnerships with, uh, with those like the downtown community safety partnerships. We've, we've also implemented and put more investments in downtown uh, cameras, 75 more of those, uh, lights, ATVs. Um, we need to be working with our partners towards uh, solutions. Where do you rate this as the priority then? Is it one, two, three? If action is happening, that would say it should be high on the list. It's very high on the list. I mean, we've recognized this for a while, and that's why we have put um, investments into it more than $56 million uh, more into municipal policing. Um, we need to make those investments, not just in downtown Winnipeg, it, it is in other communities as well. And that's why we're, we're making sure we're making those investments in other communities. So if it's a top priority, what would you say to those who say they can't wait any longer? Like how long, if I'm working in this community, if I'm someone who sees youth crime, if I'm someone who sees crime on a regular basis, these steps that you say your party have taken, how long am I to wait before I actually see that translate into reduced crime on the streets? Yeah, like, I mean, one of the things that we have done is those those crimes, you know, the, the theft of car parts, right? We put in, put in the Scrap Metal Act to um, to deter people from doing that. I mean, there are some things that we have done, but we recognize there's more work to do, and we need to work, you know, with other levels of government, too, when it comes to violent crime, people getting out 
uh, on bail, that, that catch and release uh, um, uh, policy of the federal government has to stop. And so we have been calling on them for that. Heather, it's Greg Mackling here. And people have been appealing for help on crime for years now. And it's, of course, not just violent crimes, but things like retail theft, which is not just hurting businesses and their bottom line, but presenting really real safety concerns for store clerk servers and the public. Just on Saturday, I was with one of my sons. I was walking in the front door of a Home Depot and right in front of us, there were two people trying to steal probably $1,000 worth of cordless tools. A security guard grabbed the cart. We could have been in the middle of a serious situation, could have got physical, serious altercation. So, yeah. you know, this is hitting people on a bunch of different levels. What immediate action would you take if you reassume government to, to help lower retail theft in your few first few weeks in office? Yeah, and, and we will be, um, just stay tuned, we will be having more come out to, to deal with some of these things. We don't want, I mean, I'm sorry, Greg, you, were, you went through that because others are going through it as well. It's not acceptable and we will be taking action. I mean, some of the action we've already taken through our, our crime strategy, but we also have to address the root causes as well. And so looking at mental health and addictions, uh, making sure we're getting people uh, the, you know, off of their addictions. So we have in a homelessness strategy that we've already announced as well that, you know, I've talked about with you guys on your show. Um, you know, th- these are things we put in place. This is not going to be fixed overnight, though, and we need to work with our partners. Um, so, for example, the downtown community safety partner, letting us know, you know, uh, but also more police officers on the street as well. So we have uh, put that in place, but it takes time to... Uh, to make sure that, you know, we, 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 we get to the bottom of the problem. You referenced that connection to homelessness and addictions there. And, of course, they come up often when we're talking about crime. In yesterday's debate, you were asked whether you would label the addictions issue in this province a crisis. And, and you didn't use that word. I don't know if you, I can say you refused to use that word, but you certainly wouldn't apply it. Why is that? But, you know, it is a significant problem. There's no question. And... Um, but that's why we are taking steps and measures to address the, the root causes. And, and when it comes to addictions, we've, we take a recovery approach to things. We've, we've already announced uh, and implemented 1,600 more treatment spaces. We opened seven rapid access to addiction medicine clinics. And, uh, you know, and just yesterday, we were out and we announced $10 million um, towards Quest, which is a um, it's for First Nations and run by First Nations um, addictions facility and 180 beds there. So we are, you know, moving in that direction to try and provide help. We recognize that it is a significant problem. I'm not downplaying this at all. If, if addictions workers and people in their community are using that word crisis, why won't you use that? Is there a concern that if you apply that word, then you ha- crisis requires immediate and further action. Is there some sort of problem with saying that word or just that you don't think that's where we're at? No, I, I believe it is a significant challenge out there in the communities and that's why we are taking action on it and that's why we'll continue, if, if re-elected, to continue to take action. You know, we will have more on that coming out during the course of the campaign. We're just, we're just halfway through um, the, uh, the RIP period here, so there'll be more to come. Bail reform has come up often. The fact that too many violent offenders are released on bail, particularly young offenders, but this is a federal issue. They're the ones who have to make any needed adjustments. But in the meantime, what's the plan 
to prevent youth from entering a life of crime in the first place? Well, it's exactly that, is, is finding ways um, to, to keep them busy. And, you know, through our arts and culture and sports funds, um, you know, $100 million there, we've been investing in community centres and in places where, where kids can, can go and, and be active and keep busy. And so that's part of it as well, is it's the preventative side. Heather, you have candidates with ads on the station, on billboards, on on, on uh, bus stops, saying that under Wab Canoe, violent crime will only get worse. Is this just a, another way of saying that things are are really bad? And and what what leads you to suggest that things would get even worse under an NDP government? Well. In order to, you know, try and find solutions to this, we need to support our police officers. And the NDP has been known federally and provincially. They're the same. They're the same members. Uh, and the federal government, there's a federal NDP has a resolution to defund the police. You know, that is supported by members in the provincial NDP. Candidates have been out attending defund the police rallies. That is not the direction that we need to go. We need to be supporting our police officers, and we're the only party that's offering to do so. Is there not a difference between defund the police and, and reassign resources or create additional resources? And, and, and you know, Wab Canoe, we've asked him the question. It was asked yesterday. It was pretty clear. He says he's not in favor of defunding the police. In fact, he told us that, that he, he thinks we need more police officers. Well, if he's, if, you know, we, um, in the last budget, uh, had an increase of 20 more police, 24 more police officers for downtown Winnipeg, and he voted against that. He's voted against any, every initiative that we have put forward uh, to support police officers in our province. You know, we think that's wrong. Before we let you go, Heather, you know, in my drive downtown over the past couple of years, I, I see more and more things that I never would have before. You know, I've called 911 for a fentanyl overdose. I've called 911 when I've witnessed a crime. I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't think I've called 911 once in my life before I, the last five years. And here we are. Do, will you admit that you're seeing that too? Do you feel like you're seeing more crime out there, um, more addictions and more homelessness? Is that part of your commute to work? Yeah, I, I, there, there's definitely, we're seeing, we're seeing more of it. And I think there's been a lot of unintended consequences that came out of, you know, COVID. You know, these, there's been very, very serious mental, mental health and addiction challenges coming out of that. Um, and, you know, that is why we are making the investments that we are. We recognize it's a significant and very serious issue. And that's why we're taking action. Heather Stephenson is the leader of the Progressive Conservative Party of Manitoba. Thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We have tickets to give away for Christmas with the tenors. We're asking you about something that you discovered you had been doing wrong this whole time. And who was taught? Was it you, Loren, talking about getting the sheets on the bed and how frustrating that can be. Well, just that I, I will watch the videos that come along that say, here's the way to do it, or here's how to get the duvet cover on, or if your, duvet, your fitted sheet won't fold, like anything sheet related, I want my life to get better on that front. And I think all the ideas have not worked for me. Well, Gary Hook, one of our runners up here, has a suggestion for you, Lorena, as it pertains to the fitted sheets and folding them. 
You were discussing hacks about how to fold fitted sheets. I think I have the best hack in the world for that. Buy one set of sheets for each bed, wash them more frequently, and then you never have to worry about folding them because no matter what you do, it's going to be a pain in the butt. So one set of sheets per bed, no folding required, wash more frequently. Most people sleep with the lights out, so you don't have to worry about looking at the same color scheme day after day. I only have the one set of sheets. I, for most part, do too. Like, I have more, but I I usually don't throw... Like, a, your bed can sit unmade for an hour and a half while you wait for your sheets to dry. Yeah. You, you, what, what, do you rush to the closet and get out sheet set part deux? You like do. Sheets. Uh, <laughs> I like new sheets. Yeah, but you need I them say. on there right away? Yeah, don't need them on there right away. Hmm. But I like to change it up a little bit. Jamie. Time. Greg, what does Jamie have to say, our runner-up? Here's one for you. We live in the country and our house is in the wide open with not much tree shelter. Need to shelter belt. And we got a lot of blowing snow in our huge driveway and access roads. Every time we get dumped on with a lot of snow, I hop on my ATV and plow and plow and plow. For 10 years, I'd almost always get stuck. Every time I put the quad in reverse and have to get our truck out and tow it out of the snow. That was very frustrating, not to mention how my hands were always numb from the extreme cold. I was mentioning this to a friend, and he told me there's a button on the quad you're supposed to push when you go in reverse that will give you four-wheel drive, even though it was set in four-wheel drive. You'd still have to push in this button. Who knew? Anyway, the moral story is read the instructions, doofus. I, Thank you, Jamie. You only read the instructions when things are going I wrong. I have no idea what the mechanical reason obviously would be behind that. But if it's a four by four, why do you have to put it into four by Maybe four? Maybe it's four wheel at all times in forward. But when you put it in reverse, I don't know. But wouldn't you want it to be four wheel at all times in all directions? That sounds practical and logical. I mean, there's there's clearly a reason that I don't I don't get, but... I don't know either. But the not reading instructions ties into our winner, who is Bob Clark, who says, being cheap, a.k.a. thrifty, I used to buy my yard's solar lights from the dollar store (laughs) or a similar high-quality place thinking I was saving a few bucks. First couple of times I did this, I was frustrated when I put them out during the daytime that it didn't charge them enough to glow at night. Couldn't figure it out, and I was not the type to even read the three-step directions sheet. Finally, after throwing out a couple of sets of lights, thinking they were just garbage, I tried one more time after buying some from Home Depot and desperate to not make the same mistake, I read the instructions and realized that I had to pull this little cardboard tab out of the battery slot to trigger the solar panel to start charging. I wonder how many perfectly good sets of lights I threw out being a complete and utter fool. I have the opposite thing with the LED candles. If you bought those that have the, you flip the switch. I thought it was a real candle and tried for a way too long amount of time. To try and light it? To light it. What is going on here? And I don't even think I'd had, like, it wasn't like I had multiple, you know, beverages in the system to make that. I just was trying to light (laughs) A fake That's candle. That's an endorsement <laughs> for the quality of the fake candles you buy. So <laughs> Very realistic looking. I, I can't remember who did it, but they just turned it over and I was like, oh, switch. So, Bob, congratulations. You are going to see Christmas with the Tenors, December 1st, Club Region Event Center. Of course, we're talking crime and justice today as one of the big election issues, and we'll be talking addictions on Thursday. And but they, they, the reason they, it, it makes sense to do them both in the same week is they kind of, as we've discussed this morning, Greg, they 
they tie together and addictions. I think we often think of the primary ones, drug addictions, but uh, you've reminded us that you experienced addiction of a different kind. Yeah. Well, earlier this morning, I challenged uh, some well-to-do or well-to-do families in Winnipeg to share their addiction stories so that we can all understand that addiction just doesn't fall upon those uh, that are, are poor, those that are the working poor, those that are homeless. And uh, so it's not fair for me to call other people out if I'm not prepared to do the same thing. So, uh, yeah, I was addicted to uh, what I politely refer to as the devil's television once upon a time, VLTs. When they came into Manitoba, I was staunchly against the idea of VLTs going into lounges and other places. I'd never gambled in my life Maybe $5 here and there on a Jets game with my grandparents. Maybe some pennies in Ramoli with my grandpa once upon a time who always made sure we lost because he didn't want us to ever get Teach the idea. Lesson, That's yeah. right. That gambling was easy. It's gambling's a gam- called gambling for a reason because it's, it's not a sure thing. And he would talk about how double or nothing was a sucker's bet when we would be playing lawn darts and all these little things, all these lessons along the way that I somehow forgot it would have been in 1993, 1994. I was serving tables, had, you know, always had 100 and 150 bucks in my wallet. And there was a point in time in my life where I, I walked to work. I lived Portage Avenue West in St. James, and I worked in the St. James area. And on the way home, I could go to one, two, three, and I guess essentially four different places if I just walked a block past where I lived and I could play VLTs. And sometimes I would win a few bucks, but other times I would go home with absolutely none of my tips. I was living with my girlfriend at the time and she said, how you do? How did you do tonight? I made 130, which was accurate. I didn't have any of it. Told her that I also I also passed my bank on the way home and would tell her that I put put it all in the bank. I put it in a machine, all right. It wasn't an ATM. It was a VLT. Did you start talking to her like that, or in the beginning was it I lo- I won this amount, and then it became the hiding what the real problem it was. It was sort of secretive, but amongst servers, right? We, we'd hang out with with people and. And some of us, uh, when it started, would justify it. Oh, we're just paying our taxes. You know, oh, got to pay our taxes somehow. Throw 20, 40 bucks in. And probably the worst thing that could have happened to me was I, I, I would win once in a while. I can remember needing a few bucks to, uh, to go out one night. And I, maybe I had 40 as an example. And so I would go across the street and play and end up with 80. Oh, this is great. This is a great investment strategy. Way to parlay the 40 into 80. And unfortunately, that happened a couple of times. And so I thought I had the system figured out. And then before a big vacation, I uh, I had a few hundred dollars. And for whatever reason, I thought that I should go and play some VLTs with all this cash in my pocket. And once again, the worst possible thing happened. I won the $1,000, the royal flush. And so I was king of the castle. I had it all figured out. But then I came home from that vacation, and Brett, it ties into uh, one of your passions, 
And I mentioned the idea that when addiction's an issue in your family, there's secretive actions that take place. You're not telling the whole truth about money. You might even be dipping into your partner's wallet or piggy bank to feed your addiction. I wasn't there. But the low moment for me was I had a, a golf date with two of my best friends. And it once again was one of those scenarios. I had 40 bucks in my pocket and I thought maybe I should have 80. Well, I lost all 40 and there was no other money in the house that I knew of except for my change jar. And I'd already taken the loonies. I think there were toonies at that point. Maybe there weren't. I can't remember. But I'd certainly taken all the loonies out of there. So it was down to quarters, dimes, nickels, and pennies. And the day that I had to roll all my change, take it to the bank before my buddies picked me up for golf, that was the day I knew I had a problem. And so it's... um. Yeah. Addictions come out of nowhere sometimes. You don't ask for them. You don't plan for them. And and you probably were a person prior to that to say that it's, this is just fun. This isn't an issue for me until it is. It's not a problem till it is. So how did you fight back? I actually moved to British Columbia <laughs> and uh, in order to gamble in British Columbia, you had to go to a casino. They didn't have VLTs in restaurant lounges. They didn't have them in bars. So it just became an out of sight, out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind. And it's interesting because when I, I, I'm, you know, I moved to BC, I lived there for three years. I went to the casino one night with some friends and I phoned my, my girlfriend at that time, at that time. And I said, I'm at the casino and I want to spend all the money in my pocket. I said, I'm going to leave. Can we just meet and so she could sort of talk me mm-hmm. down a little bit. I knew I had to get out of there. Almost like calling your sponsor. Like, it was. Me this, uh, it was. It was ledge. very much. So it was self-awareness, fortunately. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, when you add a little bit of alcohol, if, you drank, if I drank a little bit, it was a little bit tougher before I moved away to control that. And uh, you've mentioned addictive personality and the whole idea of, of being hooked on something. Yeah, I was, I was totally in on that. Yeah, You know, the high and the low, it's like, I always, I like to ask athletes, do you, do you hate losing more than you love winning? And almost all of them will say they hate losing more than they love winning. And I think I got just as much of a high negative connotation, negative feelings, but I think I got just as much of a high from losing, like in terms of emotional mm-hmm. awareness and, and, uh, and being, it, it was it's almost like golfing because <laughs> you go out and, and you could be so bad at it, but you still love doing it. Yep. I, I don't know how to describe it. A little bit of masochism, I guess, but oh, it's that one, the one shot that keeps you coming back. And well, you, there you, you go. You, There's the one jackpot. So there you go. Figured it out by talking about it. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, that's, uh, that's my story. And, uh, you know, access to these things is, a, is, a, is an issue in my mind, no matter what it is. And there are some people that can afford to feed their addictions. And that's why, it, and thank you for sharing that, Greg. And I, that's why it's important to discuss this because addictions really do affect uh, so many of us. And we might not even, you might not even be aware someone is going through an addiction. But yeah, if you're able to afford your addiction, maybe that's how it stays quiet. Mm-hmm. But for those who 
can't afford their addiction, that's where the crime thing comes in. Because I remember just being addicted to cigarettes Mm -hmm. and trying and failing to quit. But I had the money to walk down the street and walk into 7-Eleven and buy a pack of smokes. And is that If I didn't have the money... How far would I have gone? Sorry to interrupt. I, I was just thinking, is that a desperate feeling in that? Like if you were out of your cigarette and you need that cigarette, I'm not trying to equate it to some sort of, you know, fentanyl high, but the the science and madness behind it has to have some similarities in that you want to smoke now. Oh, yeah. And as far as I understand, I think smoking is maybe at least once upon a time, it was, I think, the second hardest Drug to quit? Alcohol first? Uh, heroin, I think. Oh, was, heroin. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I saw a train spot. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I remember, uh, and I think I've mentioned this before, but I remember I, I had cigarettes in my pocket, and I I wanted to quit. I was tra- trying to quit, and I just left this full pack on the garbage, like the handle of the BFI bin. Figure It was in Osborne Village. I figured somebody will find this. You know, so there could be, there's always people, at, hey, can I get a smoke? Can I get mm-hmm. a smoke? I just figured somebody would find it. I'm like, okay, it's, I'm, I've, I've left it behind. I'm going to walk away and leave it alone. And two hours later, I went back desperate for a cigarette and to look to see if it was still there. And the pack was still there. Hmm. So I picked them up and carried on. And, uh, and I, that's when I, that was where I was like, God, you got to do something, man. Because uh, that's just, I felt ashamed. Well, we've talked about this before. If you're a person who, you know, if, if chips are in the pantry and you can't not eat the chips or you start, you wake up thinking about the crunch of the bread or the carb or, you know, you, you, everybody craves something. Some people are better at controlling those cravings than others, but it, it can be really simple. It can be food and still be a problem. It could be exercise. People go too much. It could be the feeling of, you know, that connects you to wanting to lose the weight because you feel the thrill when you step on the scale and then that becomes a problem. And the weight, I mean, it's all, there's all sorts of addictions. And I think one of our listeners asked, is asking about, well, who's at fault? Well, you can point the finger at the person but you've made the point about access, Greg. Yep. You know, so. Yeah, casinos, that's where you had to go if you wanted to gamble. Now now it's everywhere. And then it was everywhere. 